This is episode number 24 of the Let's Talk Retouching podcast. Follow along when we talk with industry leaders and professional retouchers about all things post-production and retouching related. Today's episode won't be an interview, but we will be answering the most asked questions in retouching. So stay tuned. This show is brought to you by BoutiqueRetouching.com and also LearnPostProduction.com. As this is going to be an immensely informative episode, I highly recommend checking out the blog post that has all the written information for it. You will find it at boutiqueretouching.com forward slash retouching hyphen business. So hello everyone, welcome here on the show. Thanks for tuning in. And just before getting started, I want to remind you, if you like the show, if you like the content we are providing here, please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app and share it with friends so others can enjoy too. So today's episode is going to be all about running a retouching business. Just recently, I've asked people on my email list what they struggle with. My intention with this was understanding you guys better and to offer help if possible. Therefore, I ask not only to respond with retouching related questions, and you can imagine some responses to be quite personal. And for that reason, I have already responded to every individual with a very personalized email. Looking through all of the questions, I found a few to be asked multiple times, ultimately leading me to making this episode. And interestingly enough, non-retouching related topics seem to be more popular, or let's say people struggle with these topics more than they might do with retouching. And therefore today's episode will be about the business side of retouching and what is involved with running a successful retouching business. Surely this list of topics always can be enhanced and tweaked, but I am confident to provide some valuable information here to everyone listening. We all struggle at times and at the same time grow and learn from our experience. And so I will share my experience, hoping for them to be beneficial to all of you. Because I think shared experience and knowledge allows us all to grow and to become better researchers and ultimately better humans. And to give you a brief overview on how I will structure this episode topic-wise, um, this is what I will be talking about. We will be starting by talking about getting retouching jobs and getting new clients. Then we will follow up with how you can keep these existing clients and how you can make long-term relationships with them. After that, we will dive into how you can market yourself and your retouching business, followed up with pricing your retouching services. And then we will be talking about tools to run a retouching business. These will be tools on the hardware side, but also on the software side, which allows you to ultimately run your business efficiently. So let's get started by talking about how to get retouching clients. One of the most asked questions I can think of is from people new to the retouching industry asking how to get new clients or how to land their first paid job. We have already done an episode on this, so maybe check out episode number eight that is called How to Find Retouching Clients and How Not To. But of course, I will mention a few things, hopefully helping you in the process of acquiring new leads and new customers. My first recommendation and first step on the way to getting retouching jobs is to have 
or to build a solid retouching portfolio. But what makes a great retouching portfolio? You need to start working on reasonably good source material, starting with crappy images, badly lit, and a model that is just a girl from next door won't do you any good. You can surely practice a few basic techniques on any image. However, freelance retouching is a very detail-oriented job. So you need to be on top of what is going on in the industry that you are working in. If you retouch beauty, you need to know what retouching companies expect to see and what they want to have fixed. Getting proper source images helps you to understand what to expect from such jobs as other members of an already established team will work towards what clients actually want to see and work towards that common goal. If you have no access to good images, you can download free raw files from our website to practice your retouching. To get the free resource, head over to boutiqueretouching.com forward slash free hyphen raw hyphen files. There should not be an excuse for you to have no retouching portfolio matching today's standards. Just make sure to work on your portfolio, keep updating it with recent work and showcase images in a cohesive way. A logical next step of gaining clients is to market with your killer portfolio. This can be paid or free advertising on various platforms. The question always is whether you advertise in the right places. Or let's say if your investment in time and or money results in any qualified leads. This would be more of a measurable approach on judging your marketing and advertising efforts. While likes and fame is good for anyone's ego, it does not always translate well into making money. First, you need to decide for a regular budget or investment. The key here is regularly, as most potential clients might see what you are posting and what you are advertising with, but on the contrary, they will not always be in the position to hire you at that point of time. And therefore, it is key to be present at the right places on a regular basis. Again, sometimes paid advertising can get you in front of the right people. Sometimes it is mass publicity through blogs and press publications. Sometimes it might be posts on social media, or you can attract new clients by working for exposure in collaboration with companies in your niche. Just recently, we have done an episode on the whys and hows on working for exposure. So check out episode number 23 for more information on this topic. Next, the third component to get new clients is to have an outreach strategy. Or let's better call it a process. And outreach means doing sales. But hear me out before you switch off. With doing sales, I do not mean sales like you imagine it from someone randomly knocking on doors just to get one idiot willing to pay what was offered. With sales, I mean you need to actively build a network of potential customers. Of course, marketing and running ads can lead into a sales process, but it will not close deals for you. As a service provider, you will still have to do sales. And as I know many of you fear the process of selling, let me explain what it means and that it actually is not too bad. It does not have to be pushy or anything. 
So when I talk about sales, you need to work on establishing a relationship and maintaining these relationships by educating or helping people, potential customers, by offering a solution to their problems. At the same time, you have to be cautious about your work time and making things as easy for you as you should make it easy for your client to ultimately make a buying decision. Before you even reach out to clients, you should have an outreach strategy and all the processes and software in place to be efficient and consistent. We, for example, we are using the HubSpot CRM. CRM stands for Customer Relation Management. We also use their sales tools as our foundation of client communication. It helps us to keep track of our client conversation, deal stages and tasks connected to a project or a customer. Further, HubSpot can interconnect with your email and calendar and making it easy to schedule client calls, meetings, creating email templates, snippets and attaching additional information like documents you might want to send potential clients. The goal here should be for you to get valuable information in one place to have a better overview on your project's progress. When you reached out to someone the last time, how often, what you have discussed with this client in previous emails and so on. Streamlining the process is key here, helping you to save time and to make the experience of connecting with you a breeze. Let's now transition over from getting new clients in your retouching business to keeping them long term. Many jobs you will get at the beginning will be one-time gigs. Nothing very sustainable in the long run. Therefore, it is your responsibility to evaluate how much of these irregular clients you want to keep or decide if they are keeping you from actually growing your business. But let me get into some practical advice on how to keep your clients long term. My first tip is be nice, always. No matter the circumstances, always remain calm and professional in your communication. Things may go wrong down the line, but being polite and professional always helps to keep conversations on an objective conversational level. As a bonus, people always like to work with a nice and likable person. There is nothing worse than working towards a common goal and having someone put a spanner in the works that ruins it for everyone. Tip number two here, and this should be a given, is produce good work. Just because you have worked with someone a couple of times, you should not let them down by working sluggish or cutting corners just to make another quick buck. The quality your clients get the first time with you should remain constant. Your clients and even their clients rely on consistent, planable results. Another thing is to do more than you were asked to. Most clients will send you a markup signaling their wishes on what should be changed and fixed. However, you can always expect certain tasks as a given and required for every job. People hire you as a professional retoucher to make these decisions on your own. On top of that, it might be a great idea to evaluate how much creative input you can bring to the table. Sometimes it is a nice touch to surprise your client with options or variants on a project for them to decide for their liking. 
such positive surprises demonstrate your dedication to both the project and to your client. Another tip in terms of client communication is to always ask questions proactively. The more questions you ask, the better your understanding will be about your client's vision. Clients will appreciate your interest and professionalism here. The more you know about the project, the better you can serve your client and the less revisions you can expect, which leads to happier clients and them wanting to work with you on a continuous basis. But also you can cut down on time and as a bonus, make a little more money on each project. The next tip here to help you keep existing clients and how you can differentiate yourself from your competition is to give helpful feedback on the projects you were working on. Make it part of your project or your work routine to send a thank you letter after successfully finishing a project. Not only can you thank your client for working with you, but also give valuable feedback on the project. If you have not yet established such a relationship with your clients, it might be more appropriate to ask if your client wishes to receive feedback on the project. With such feedback, however, you can give input on the process of production and possibly give tips on tightening up your processes with that client, or you might suggest changes which eventually would save your client money. Lastly, if you have worked with your client and then just sit back and wait for them to come back, in most cases, nothing is going to happen. Surely, there will be clients sending you in work regularly. But in the beginning of your career, it is more likely to have clients who do not outsource every single project to retoucher. If you have not heard from a client in a while, it does not mean they won't work with you again, but might be busy doing other things. So you make it a thing to reconnect with your client and ask how their current projects are coming along or if they are working on anything interesting. Don't make it about asking if they have any work for you. Make it about connecting, showing interest for what they are doing and thus stay top of mind with them for if they are in a position to hire someone, you will be the first to reach out to. Marketing is not only related to getting new clients, but it is more to attract the right clients and to get the right work that suits you and your business. And that, my friends, can be done by finding the right niche. So let's talk about finding your niche. Many folks have not niched down in their service offerings when they start their businesses. If you are new to the business, you probably find yourself saying yes to every single job that comes your way. Even more, you find yourself inclined to also advertise serving clients in every field just to not exclude someone and potentially lose some work. And that is more of the generalist idea in terms of not niching down. So you will be a generalist. And the flip side of this is this will always keep you in the lower range of retouching work and it will only get you lower paid work. Compare the situation to doctors. You have generalists and specialists. Who do you think potentially makes more money? The one that does everything or the one who is specialized in his or her field? You guessed right. It is always going to be the specialist who can demand higher pay if the market he or she is serving is big enough to do so. 
But it's not only about the money you can charge. If you have a website or a portfolio with no clear message, you will inevitably scare away people without even getting the chance of money being a deciding factor. Imagine a photographer offering sexy model shoots along with maternity sessions. That won't work and people will simply not give that person a shot. So specializing is very important to market your business to clients and to clearly communicate what your offerings are. I would suggest specializing in the things you love doing first. If you however find yourself getting a lot of other and better paid work in a niche other than the one you originally picked, then it might be worth considering transitioning into that other niche. But really don't start sending mixed messages when doing so. Make a cut at some point of time and stick with that thing you're doing. After finding the right niche for you to work in, the next logical step is to define your ideal client. In marketing terminology, this is called a buyer persona. A buyer persona is a semi-fictional representation of your ideal customer based on market research and real data about your existing customers. Buyer personas also provide structure and context for your business, making it easier for you to allocate your time and resources. So what does a buyer persona consist of? Which data do you have to gather? We usually start by defining a buyer persona by defining the demographic. So collecting demographic information about your buyer persona allows you to paint a clear, more personal picture of your customer. More specifically, factors such as age and education can help you better position your marketing messengers to ensure it resonates with your market. The next factor for your buying persona will be the industry they are in or the type of business they are running. So if you want more qualified leads, knowing details about your buyer persona's business will come in handy when you're building fields for your landing pages. Factors like the industry, company size also help you understand how many hats this person might be wearing on a daily basis or how competitive their market is. Their career can also be a deciding factor or a, a factor to differentiate different buying personas. A focus on your buying persona's career and seniority level will help you determine what makes them successful. These details are helpful to provide solutions catered specifically to them. You might also think about their job as a whole, their objectives, their challenges, their goals. Um, because understanding your buying persona will help you to cater to their needs and offer services that are actually helpful to them by solving their problem. So in the show description, I have put a link for a tool helping you to create such a bias persona. You can, of course, take all the information I've given you and map it on your own, but you can also put it into that tool, which ultimately will give you a nice chart of how your ideal buying persona or ideal customer could be defined. So much for the buying personas. Now let's talk about a question I get relatively frequently from clients and that is how much does retouching cost? Now on the contrary, many beginner retouchers ask the same question or ask it in a different way. They just ask how much to charge for their retouching. And to both I would respond, well, it depends. 
And the truth is, there is a market for everyone as there are different retouching projects which will lead to more time or less time spent on. All of this will reflect in pricing. Generally, one can spend from $1 all the way up to $1,000 per image just on retouching. Why is the spread so vast? Well, the retouching market is an international market and money there is not always a quality factor. The price range highly depends on where someone is living and how that person's work and life situation currently is. Someone working from a country with low cost of living can ask far less than someone who must spend more on food and accommodation. And then we must factor in the value of currency too. If you are living in India, for example, just for example here, being paid in US dollars can be quite an advantage over someone like me living in the Eurozone who makes a loss in getting paid in US dollar rather than euros. So when deciding on pricing in your own retouching business, you can potentially use this information to your advantage and price your services very competitively. Or if that won't work for you, you can always specialize your craft and services in order to ask for more money for delivering quality, certain level of service and so on, which your competitors can't offer. As there are so many factors which could influence a pricing structure and it is so personal to each and everyone's business, I'm gonna leave it with that here. Just so you know, it can be different and there is a market for lower paid work and higher paid work. And it doesn't necessarily mean one is bringing more money in than the other. It is time for our commercial break again. The show is brought to you by our retouching studio, boutiqueretouching.com and learnpostproduction.com. If you want to be informed about when things are getting started at Learn Post Production, head over to learnpostproduction.com and subscribe to the newsletter there. Again, the show description or the show notes will be at boutiqueretouching.com forward slash retouching hyphen business so all the information in this episode will be shared there all the links to all the tools and the software the hardware that i am mentioning in this episode will be there so if you missed something head over to boutiqueretouching.com forward slash retouching hyphen business And then I want to mention this episode took me quite some time to script, edit, and yeah, put all the information for you guys in there for free. So I would wish for you to share this episode with a friend who might also be struggling with the business side of retouching and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to it. Leave a comment if you have another tool or if you enjoy the podcast and yeah just leave us feedback on these episodes because we're putting so much time in and yeah now let's continue with this episode and now we will be talking about the tools that help you to retouch and to help you run your business so let's now transition from the marketing side to more of an hands-on approach or 
what is important to run your business. So let's get into the tools of running a business. And generally, this is more of an issue among photographers. And yet the gear acquisition syndrome can hit us all. The reality is we all need a minimum amount of gear to get started and throughout our careers need to upgrade along with the level of work that is expected from us. I really would wish to tell you gear would not matter at all, but that would be a false representation of how heavily retouchers rely on some hardware to do their magic. So let's quickly go over the minimum requirements to get retouching work done and then we will jump up in what will help you to consistently pump out high quality work. If you were to ask me what to buy in 2019 to get started with retouching, I would suggest the following. First thing you would need is a computer or a laptop. And I would suggest mainly to go with a Windows computer if you are to save cost. And yes, saving cost is a thing if you want to run a real business. So you would need a computer, probably want 16 gig of RAM in it, an SSD usually is quite common. And then I would just say, just get something you can afford and upgrade down the line. The next crucial hardware gadget you will need is a graphics tablet. There's just no way around retouching an image efficiently when using a mouse or any other pointer device. So for the beginning, I would say an entry level Wacom tablet. They were used to call Bamboo. Now they are called Intuos Photo or Intuos Art. You would go well with either one of these. In terms of the size, I would recommend uh, looking at how you are using a mouse if you prefer to use your hand less with a high sensitivity of mouse speed then probably go with the smaller one if you are used to using low sensitivity with large movements i would suggest going with a larger tablet in addition to the tablet you will need a monitor if you are buying a laptop that usually is built in, I would suggest looking at a monitor that covers at least 99 to 100% of sRGB. You don't really need to go the high-end route at the beginning because most of the images are viewed in sRGB or smaller. CMYK color space covers the majority of sRGB just a slight bit outside of it. So generally you're still good to go with a good coverage of the sRGB. Just avoid the lower uh, gamma displays like just having 60 to 80% of sRGB coverage. Then you also need a color calibration device. I think we have talked about this over and over again. We have written tons of blog posts about color calibration, color management. And I personally, I would recommend going with an X-Rite device. Um, you can also go the route of buying a used one and using free software. And I recommend using the display car or display calibration software. They have their own proprietary drivers for either X-Rite devices or data color spider devices. And you can buy a used calibrator and use the free software to calibrate your display. Next, I would say you need some sort of a backup solution. 
if you do not want to spend a lot of money, then probably external hard drives are the way to go. So get an external hard drive as big as possible or get a bunch of them and store your data regularly in addition to where you are working from. Now let's get into the upgraded version of equipment. Down the line, you will have clients with higher quality demands and your demand on gear will most likely change as well. Reliability, ergonomics and some other features will come handy in your professional day-to-day -day life. So what would you need? Uh, in terms of a computer, you of course can go with a laptop if you are working in different places again and again. But I would recommend setting up a proper workstation with a powerful computer. Then it's up to you if you go the Mac or the Windows computer route. Linux for the moment is not an option as Photoshop doesn't really run natively on it. So you need a workstation PC and what can be crucial to you if you are working on the higher end field is that you will need a professional graphics card. A professional graphics card is not like the regular gaming graphics card and the reason why you might want one is to get 10-bit color. You can get 10-bit color with gaming graphics cards, but that will not be in Photoshop. So to get the advantage of having really smooth gradients and 10-bit color rendition, you will need a professional graphics card, either NVIDIA, Quadro, or from the AMD professional line. Then in terms of the monitor, you usually would want to accommodate for the professional graphics card to use a wide gamut display and wide gamut monitors usually are defined as such when the gamut coverage is around 96 to 100 plus coverage of the adobe rgb color space when you're looking for a monitor you also would definitely want a non-glare display because the reflections on your monitor will heavily influence how you see things. Of course, you will have to set up your workspace properly as well to avoid reflections as much as possible. And then I would suggest going for at least a 27 inch. You can work with smaller ones or if you prefer to have a dual setup. But I personally, I would go for a 27 to 32 inch monitor just to have a clean view on what's going on without having bars in between. And when something goes wrong, you just have to replace one device instead of trying to match two different devices to each other and make them look the same and stuff like this. So that in terms of the monitor, then you will also need a tablet. And when you start retouching, you will not notice all the small difference in tablets. But when you're doing it for a while, you will definitely appreciate the pro line of the Wacom tablets. They have higher pressure sensitivity. They have additional features like adjusting your pressure curve and stuff like this that you can take advantage of. Also, in terms of the size, nothing I would recommend differently than with the lower end line. If you prefer high sensitivity, maybe go with a smaller one. If you prefer larger movements, go with a bigger one. The other option you have with the Pro line is different Wacom pens and grip options. So I personally always have two pens at hand equipped with different grips so I can change them up while I'm working to not have my fingers rest in the same position over hours and hours. That makes a huge difference if you're working professionally. 
Next up, also you need a calibration device. Again, I recommend using X-Ride. Or if you decide to buy a monitor nowadays, sometimes they come with a calibrator built in. In addition to these tools, which I consider mandatory, I would recommend keeping an eye of what helps you to work efficiently. And I myself have decided to remap all the shortcuts to something like a gaming pad that rests on the left side of my keyboard and it allows me to have a more natural hand position, a more ergonomic hand position. And I have mapped all my shortcuts that I need on a regular basis to the macro keys on that keypad. So I myself are using a Logitech G13. An alternative for this would be going with something like a Razer Orb gaming keypad. Yeah, so if you are into ergonomics and are working long hours in front of your computer retouching, then maybe something like this would be beneficial to you in the long run. Then if you have to move workspaces a lot, it might be worth thinking about getting an additional notebook to your main workstation. One reason is if your main machine goes down, you still have a backup solution in place. And it's easier to decide for a notebook in addition to a second desktop. But speaking about backup solution, if you are working professionally, you at some point don't want to just stick with hard drives to store your backup files on. So you might be thinking about including off-premise storage or cloud storage to back up your files in multiple places. So if something happens, you have off-premise storage where you can work from. At least get something so you can reliably work off and send files with. So this in terms of the hardware and gear retouching studios might need and want. So let's talk about the software side. As we have discussed the hardware solutions now that are necessary to run a retouching business, let us now jump into what software is needed to do the retouching. And you might be surprised it will be more than just using Photoshop. But let's start by discussing the software you might need to do the retouching work. The retouching business involves many more tasks than just the retouching itself. But let's start with the editing and what the industry standards are. By far the most popular tool for image editing and retouching is Adobe Photoshop. We all know the expression something to be photoshopped, which originates from the software's popularity. But Photoshop is, for a good reason, the number one tool we retouchers use, as it offers us flexible workflow and equips us with the tools and techniques for a modern way of retouching. Photoshop's strength over its competitors are layers, masks and an outstanding brush engine. The second tool you will have to invest in is Capture One. Not only is it a photographer's tool of choice for tethered shooting, but it has a very powerful RAW engine, in my opinion superior to the Adobe Camera RAW process. Aside from quality, however, if you are working on higher-end productions, you might have to work with medium format files. Hence, it is always better to use the RAW converter from either Phase 1, which is Capture One, or Hasselblad's RAW processor to process the high-quality medium format files. Capture One is also one of the common tools in the industry, and as a professional researcher, you should know your way around using this piece of software. Next on the list of must-know tools is Hasselblad Focus. 
Hasselblad's proprietary tethering and raw processing software. The software itself is free to use if you are using it to process Hasselblad files. For tethered shooting or third-party files, you would need a license or a Hasselblad camera, which for us retouchers is a great situation, as we do not have to pay just because a client is using this system. I would like to point out, you can put Hasselblad and Phase 1 files through Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw, but I would like to stress that it really is not going to help you in terms of quality. I have never seen a more realistic and spot-on color rendition than the Hasselblad finds have out of the box in the Hasselblad Focus software. It's even better as they have a color profiling engine included in the software and it just takes about five seconds to create a custom profile with any color checker you have at hand. So these are the three most commonly used pieces of software you will encounter in the retouching industry. A company aspiring to grab a huge chunk of Adobe's user base is Skylum. With their latest offering of Lumina 3, they probably might be interesting to have a peek at for those who like working with Lightroom and do not have the money to spend on that software. That said, there probably is no way around using Photoshop. There is of course a freeware called GIMP, but I'm not sure if you can achieve the same as you can with Photoshop and its tools. But try out different raw converters and see how they might fit in your workflow. Aside from Lumina 3, there is also a freeware tool called Darktable. If you have to use freeware and cannot afford to pay for software, then maybe Darktable is an option for you to replace Lightroom as a raw converter and image library. I'm not very familiar with the tool, so I'm just leaving it with that. You can check it out and download for free and try it out. Now we're going to transition from the editing to software that you might use to market your services. Some might consider the next point on my list as debatable, which is having a portfolio and having a website. Some might argue to get a lot of clients from social media having just Instagram as their portfolio. That might be true, but it will only be true for now. Using another company's system puts your destiny in their hands. Whenever they decide to make a change and to charge you, you will be forced to move along with them. This is partially true for all of us as we use social media to market, but despite you need a reliable space, you can call your own to build a brand with long-term value for your business. With your own website, you own the traffic, you can do retargeting ads, which are much more valuable than just sponsored posts on Facebook or Instagram, and you have ultimate control over how people contact you. To build your website, you can either go with out-of-the-box systems like Squarespace and Wix or other less tech-savvy options, or you are building your website on your own, for example, based on WordPress. Speaking about websites, no matter which route you are going to take, or if you consider building a website at all, you need your own domain. Most offers come with either one or a bunch of domain-hosted email addresses. And to me, there's nothing looking more unprofessional than seeing people using their private Hotmail or Gmail email address for business. It just screams, I have no money, I am not professional. But then it actually is not that expensive to get your own email accounts. If you do not want to spend too much money, I would recommend checking out the one-on-one -on -one domain or hosting packages 
They are quite affordable and easy to use and easy to administrate. Now, something else we've touched on before, that is storage and backup, or even business apps that all mixes together in some way or another. So you might say, sure thing, but I like using Gmail and such. And yeah, I get that. And it leads me to another topic here of software products, which you should consider buying if you can afford it. I'm talking about either Google's G Suite or Microsoft 365 for business apps. And then you might say, oh, I don't need Office and I'm fine just using Google Docs. But hear me out. It's not about these tools of using a spreadsheet and stuff like this. The business offers from both companies have a huge variety of benefits to make it easier for you to store valuable information safely. Make your own scheduling easier and overall allows you to grow the system if you want to hire a virtual assistant or hire another retoucher into your business. Both companies offer relatively affordable cloud storage, data protection and file recovery. For us freelance retouchers, this is a very valuable service and asset. No more lost files, easy client access and so on. Aside from the file transfer, you will enjoy using all the added scheduling, meeting and collaboration features provided with the business tools of each company. So let's talk about G Suite. The G Suite is Google's bundle of professional services for smaller or even larger business operations. You can get started on the G Suite for around $6 per month. And G Suite is easier to get started with, but there are not many pricing tiers or flexible license booking. The higher tier with data security and more storage will cost you around 12 bucks a month. And now let's talk about Microsoft 365 business apps. Compared to Google's offerings, Microsoft 365 for business comes more as a pick what you want offering. You can either pick just store services or a full suite of business tools and are flexible to either upgrade or downgrade down the line to suit your business needs. Microsoft offers a business essential package, including Exchange Server, one terabyte file storage, task and project management tools for only five bucks a month. And the premium bundle is currently at the price of 10 to $11 per license a month. I highly recommend checking out these options, even if it is just for the storage you can get. One terabyte of cloud storage for just five bucks a month is not a lot, and it is very valuable for you to transfer files to your clients in a reliable way. Another piece of software or system you might consider is a CRM. So what is a CRM and why would you need one? CRM stands for Customer Relations Management. Partially it is similar to an email client, but it is much more about additional features and information you get over your contacts. An email client generally just does that one thing, sending and receiving emails. If you are using Outlook or the G Suite, you have calendar and task, which is fine, but a CRM gives you an option to store much more information about your customers and business partners. For example, when you contact them for the last time, how you have done business with them before, and if that approach was successful or unsuccessful, and much more information you can store with this system. 
With HubSpot, for example, you have an option to track email, reads, the links someone clicked in your email, schedule meetings, have a scheduled calendar for people to book you, make phone calls from the browser and record them. And more importantly, have all the relevant information about a deal at hand when talking to your contact. It makes it super easy to see what you last discussed, take notes of your current conversation, include or attach documents and save time by using mail snippets and templates. The possibilities are kind of endless and these systems are constantly evolving and I cannot possibly address all functions a CRM can have. But hands down, I recommend using HubSpot. It is what I use and what I have grown to love. The best I think about their offering is for them to have a free version to get started with right away. The free option will most likely cover all your needs for a while until you might want to upgrade one or the other service. The last piece of software you might consider for your business possibly is accounting and invoicing software. Get help with your invoicing and accounting. Don't just use a spreadsheet. That's my recommendation. And at the end of the year, you will start looking where you have put which document, what you have scanned as a digital file and what you have just put in a drawer, hoping and wishing you would never have to look at it again. To me, accounting means nothing but headaches and I do not want any of these. So it is a logical step if you are the same to use tools to help you organize your creative brains and to help you with what you are not good at. I'm just mentioning two providers here that you might want to have a look at. One is FreshBooks, the other one is QuickBooks. I am using another piece of software that is called Debitor, just for the reason that I need some features owned to the country I am living in. I understand everyone is living in different countries and the law in terms of taxing and invoicing changes. So you might even consider going with a service that is specifically targeted to the country you are living in. But if you are living in North America, these two that I just mentioned, FreshBooks and QuickBooks, should be fine for you to organize your invoices and do your accounting. However, if you are like me working from Germany, I can recommend using either Debitor or maybe even Fastbill. These are relatively inexpensive services and worth every penny, saving you from hiring someone to do your invoicing. That was it. Episode number 24 of the Let's Talk Retouching podcast is a wrap. Thanks for sticking around for this long. I really hope the information in this podcast episode was valuable to you and I talk to you next time.